When the Apostle Paul was a prisoner in Rome, by the very nature of his circumstances, he was severely limited. But, despite that limitation, and in the midst of that confinement, the Lord showed him the highest revelation that he ever received. In Acts 22, when the Lord sent Ananias to bring Paul into the body life and direct him to be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord, Ananias was instructed by the Lord to say certain things to this new brother. And Acts 22 says that the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the voice of his mouth. This clearly shows us Paul was selected to receive revelation directly from the Lord. And in particular, the first thing mentioned was you were chosen to know God's will. Revelation 4.11 tells us That all things, all positive things exist because of God's will. God's will, that is what God wants, is the source of all that God has done, is doing, and will do. With this in view, the Lord instructed us to pray. Your will be done on earth, even as it is in heaven. Related to God's will is God's good pleasure. God's good pleasure is the desire of his heart, what brings him deep joy and delight. Based upon God's will and the good pleasure of his will, he made his eternal purpose in Christ. All of this before anything existed. No universe, no space, no time, no angels, only God. And Paul having received this revelation directly, told us God made certain decisions that affect us right now. For instance, in Ephesians 1.4, God chose us to be holy. And he didn't ask for your consent. The matter was determined by God before you even existed. 
And other verses say, be holy, even as God is holy. This means we were chosen to have the same holy nature as God. Then in the next verse, verse 5, Paul goes on to say, God the Father has predestinated us unto sonship. To predestinate is to determine an outcome that eventually will be reached, no matter what. So this is a second decision God made concerning us, which is one reason why we had the feeling to come together tonight. Because he predestinated us to be his sons with the divine life, eventually to mature in this life, and to have the inheritance. So God decided these crucial matters. And his purpose is choosing us to be holy, is predestinating us unto sonship, are all for the church as the body of Christ. And the church as the body of Christ is simultaneously the one new man. And when the Lord comes, this body, this new man, will be presented to Christ as his bride. And for her, he longs to come back. Then for eternity, we will live in a divine and human marriage. We will be the wife of the redeeming God. And we will live corporately as his glorious expression forever and ever. So we were chosen to be holy, to become the holy city. We are predestinated unto sonship to be a corporate person, the counterpart of our bridegroom, redeemer. Then God decided, in order to work all this out, he will create a universe, our galaxy, our solar system, our planet. In effect, he would create space and time. And time, as we understand it, is a bridge between the two eternities. God is outside of time. He's beyond time. Time is related to creation. So in eternity past, that's the best expression we can come up with. God made these decisions. And the outcome of these decisions will have an eternal, will it last forever. And so our God is thorough. He's detailed. And he has a plan to work this out with every one of us 
in every situation. The Father knows each one of his children. He knows how to raise us, to train us, to mature us. So here we are, December 7th, Saturday evening, in South San Francisco, spending some time together. And we should just realize our time to be on the earth with our present physical body has been measured and determined by God. And we exist by God's creation for his eternal purpose. So what happened to each one of us in diverse ways, and we rejoice to hear them, that God decided it's now time for this chosen one to be regenerated. So in some form and in some way, the gospel reached us. The ability to believe was infused into us. We opened our being to the Lord. We believed into him. We called on him. We received him. And we were born of God. This was an action in time to begin working out the decisions made in eternity past. Our regeneration was the first step in a process. And what's in my heart for this precious weekend with you is by the Lord's grace, and supply to try to make clear to you a process that is taking place in each one of us. We need to understand what this is. And we need to realize we cannot um, stop it We can only delay it. And what is this? Okay, step by step. What God created physically, we designate as the old creation, God's original creation of the material universe, including us. So we are created as tripartite human beings, created by God, for God, but God was not in us. We were separate from him. But this was the beginning stage. First to bring forth this creation of the material realm. So let's focus on us human beings. We were created in God's image and likeness. And we were created as vessels. The very fact that we are vessels indicates 
We were designed and created by God in such a way that he would enter into us and begin a process of making us God-men, children of God. In other words, God created us with the intention of entering into us. When God, through our regeneration, entered into us, that was the first step of the new creation. The difference between the new creation and the old creation is that in the new creation, God is mingled with and one with this new creation, this redeemed, regenerated human being. And what is taking place in all of us is this. Physically, obviously, we are living in certain circumstances at a certain physical age, which doesn't remain the same. And so in this way, we're like anybody else. But while we are seeking to live as normal a human life as we can, the Lord is doing an inward work. Because his way is first to produce the old creation, then enter into the old creation to begin making it a new creation. So what is happening is that gradually within us, a new creation is forming. So Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he could say, our outer man is just being worn out. Some of you that are young, you don't know what this means. It's okay. Be young, be energetic, be immortal. But eventually you'll realize the outer man is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. Amen. Now, the essence of this process of making us inwardly a new creation within our old creation, physical existence, the essence of this is the resurrection life of Christ. God himself became a man. The humanity that Jesus put on was the God-created humanity, like ours in every way except he had no sin. So he put on the humanity of the old creation. <clears throat> Then in his resurrection, this humanity was brought into God, was made divine, and his whole being was resurrected. So he is called the firstborn of resurrection. <clears throat> now, 
what is going on in us, and more and more, gradually, we'll realize this. The Christ who dwells in us is the resurrected Christ as the life-giving spirit. And he is moving and operating in all of us with the same direction. And that is to bring us, little by little, into resurrection. And this is what happens to saints who grow in life during their lifetime, who mature in life, who experience salvation in life, their entire inner being, their spirit, their soul, their mind, emotion, will, and inward parts are all brought into resurrection. The body remains a mortal body. But Romans 8.11 tells us that the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead, if we allow this spirit to dwell in us, he will give life to our mortal bodies. So sometimes I'm asked or my wife is asked, how does Ron keep doing what he's doing, traveling here and there like others? Well, It's all because of the resurrection life of Christ. Amen. Supplied through the body of Christ. That enables just an ordinary human being to do what ordinary human beings cannot do. Paul, having direct revelation, had a full understanding of this inward process. So he reveals this to us in Philippians 3. And by this time, he was very experienced, very mature. But he said, I haven't arrived. I don't consider that I have arrived, that I have already attained. I'm still pressing on. I'm pursuing. And then he said that he wanted to know the Lord and the power of his resurrection. This is Philippians 3.10. Tomorrow, we will consider the actual goal. But I mention it now so that we have a clear understanding. Paul said that I may attain to the out-resurrection. He had a personal goal set for him by God. And that is, when I finish my course and must rest with the Lord... And I am resurrected. It will not be a common resurrection of all believers. 
It will be the resurrection of a believer who was thoroughly saturated with resurrection life during his lifetime. So that will be the resurrection of the overcomers. The overcomers of the co-kings. The overcomers of saints who redeemed the time. Who day by day allowed the process of resurrection to take place within them. So the general subject of these three messages is knowing and experiencing the resurrection life of Christ. Knowing begins with, get the objective teaching from the word, opened up through the ministry. Then this knowing becomes a vision. It becomes a revelation to us. We have a spiritual understanding that resurrection is a life that enters into death, passes through death, and emerges from death victorious over death. We need to know this. And then we experience this. And the experiences are designed by the wise, sovereign God. Paul realized this. He said, we know, not we hope, we think. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are Called according to his will. His purpose. His purpose. So what was going on in the Apostle Paul. Was a process of resurrection. And in that process. Christ as the resurrection life. Through the spirit of life. Is spreading into his being inwardly, discharging what is natural, what is of the old creation, what is fallen, and then saturating us with this resurrection life. Outwardly, physically, we're still indistinguishable from other persons in our age group. And I'm with the elderly. Maybe a youngish elderly if there is such a thing. But that's my category. But actually there is an intrinsic difference. Between what is happening in me every day. From what is happening in elderly people. Who are being taken care of somewhere. Going through something. They're just fading away. But I'm getting renewed every day while I'm fading away. And the believers, the vast majority, 
indicated by the parable of the virgins in Luke 25, will pass away and be with the Lord before he comes. A smaller number will live until the overcomers are raptured. The rest will go through the tribulation. But those believers, the vast majority, who finish their course, I mentioned this last night, but I need to bring us all up to speed. They end in one of two ways. To use the language of the parable, we all have oil in our lamps. We know from Proverbs twenty twenty seven, the spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah. That's our spirit. Oil signifies the divine spirit. Everyone who has been regenerated has oil in her or his vessel. But those that are wise and prudent, sorry, they have oil in their lamps. Oil in their lamps. But not all have oil in their vessel. That is the soul. The spirit in their spirit does not spread into their soul. And millions and millions of Christians, genuine, precious believers, they will die with the same amount of spirit they had on the day they were regenerated. Zero inward progress. And many of them will die under the false teaching that death solves all problems. As soon as you die, you go to heaven. There's a house prepared for you there. However, everyone's going to leave heaven and come back to the earth, so I guess it's a Motel 6 <laughs> rather than a residence. But the truth is, no believer goes to heaven when they die. All the believers go to paradise based on salvation. Then when the believers are resurrected, now the question is, are you qualified to enter the wedding feast? Are you qualified to reign in the kingdom? And there are the prudent ones. Their whole being is saturated with the Spirit. The others, they lack this. So they had to now pay the price to be saturated with the Spirit. This is the kingdom truth joined with the experience of life then what will happen to those who are the prudent virgins whose whole inner being was saturated during their lifetime, they will be the co-kings. They will be the bride in the millennium. The others will be in another situation lasting a thousand years to complete the process that it only took one lifetime for the faithful ones to do.
I don't know how the kingdom truth has impacted you. But with me, along with many others, it radically revolutionized my whole life. I must face this truth. So Paul, he wanted to know Christ and the power of Christ's resurrection. That would enable him to share the fellowship of Christ's sufferings and being conformed to his death. And then his personal aspiration was the out-resurrection. And we will see tomorrow that this out-resurrection will not only outwardly be a reward to the overcoming believers, it should be a goal that we realize what is going on in our being. We don't fully understand the details. But we now know what God wants. He wants to spread the resurrection life of Christ into all of our inward parts. And then even enliven our mortal body. That's why brothers my age, there's a brother in Taiwan who's about 94, Lu Sui, you know him, you respect him, still traveling, still ministering. Because this resurrection life gives life to the mortal body. And so this fellowship and these messages, as I mentioned last night, are directed to you, singular you. Because I'm not trying to be sentimental, I'm not. I'm just telling you the truth. Every one of you is precious to God the Father. Every one of you is an indispensable, irreplaceable member of the body of Christ. Amen. And as the Lord enlarges us through pressure, we can say, all of you are in our heart. There are certain, there's a certain aspect of the working out of God's economy that is personal. The overcomers are not a group. They're not a team. The whole team gets the trophy. It's not individualistic, but it's personal. To him who overcomes, I will give this. So last night we considered a little the meaning of resurrection. Then we took a rather enjoyable turn and the second part of the message was drinking the water of life in resurrection. And this is based upon Exodus 17, verse 6. The people of Israel were thirsty. God cared for their thirst. There was this, this mysterious rock that was there, typifying Christ. God instructed Moses 
Take your rod, smite the rock, and see what happens. Well, the rock is Christ. The rod is the law of God that struck Christ when he died in our place on the cross. And the water that flowed is the water of life in resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, this spiritual rock is following us. We all drank of the same spiritual rock. Then later, the people were thirsty again. They were murmuring. And I just want to emphasize the positive side. God told Moses, just speak to the rock. You don't have to strike it again. But he lost control of his spirit that one time. And it was his sin unto death. He was not allowed to enter into the good land. He died at 120 in perfect health. No trifocals signifying the triune God. <laughs> or now I have trifocal in one eye and not, not in the other. So maybe that's three in one. Huh? I don't know. <laughs> but let's just look at the positive side. Christ was smitten on the cross for us. And out of his side flowed blood and water. That water is resurrection water. That water is resurrection life. And last night I pointed out, I gave an illustration. My doctor told me very directly, my family care general physician, he said, you drink eight glasses of water every day. And this time I actually obeyed him. <laughs> and what a difference it makes. And how serious dehydration can be. Then it occurred to me last night, Lord Jesus so many of the saints are suffering from spiritual dehydration. And they may not even realize it. But if you would drink resurrection water eight times a day. And this resurrection water springs up within you and supplies you. You're going to have a very, very different inner sense about what's going on in the depths of your being. And I enjoyed again looking at and looking at the footnote on 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. In one spirit, we were all baptized into one body and we're all made to drink of one spirit. And I just, I don't share the following to in any way make you feel self-conscious or guilty, I personally had to repent to the Lord for not drinking, not drinking normally, not drinking sufficiently. I emphasized breathing, and I emphasized eating, but not so much drinking. But when you drink the water of life in resurrection, it begins to saturate your inner being. 
Imagine having your mind. It's being renewed. It's saturated with the resurrection life of Christ. The full range of your emotions. Saturated with the resurrection life. Your will with all the intentions. Well, resurrection, we know, is Christ himself. I've used the word process, now I want to use it in a different context. Resurrection is a process that begins to operate as soon as death strikes in any way. And this process is typified by the budding rod. Plants don't blood in an uh, plants don't bud in an instant. There's an unseen process that's taking place inside of them. And then the bud emerges and then it opens. So Aaron's rod along with the other 11 <clears throat> We're set in the holy place <clears throat> for the night, going through a death experience. And in one of the rods, resurrection as a process was gradually working until it budded and blossomed. And I can testify before the Lord's glorious face, the reality of this. This has happened to me many times. I see it happening in the lives of the saints. I know it will happen in more lives. As soon as death attacks, Satan's ultimate weapon, the process of resurrection, is activated. Because of the grief, because of the pain, because of the loss, you're not conscious of it at first. But resurrection life always wins. Amen. It's always victorious. <clears throat> and so, I believe it was very refreshing for many of us last night just to drink the water of life in resurrection and to drink from one another's spirit. But now we go on to outline two on being in the resurrection life of Christ for the reality of the body of Christ. And the first word is being. It's understandable that we can be very concerned about what we are required to do, what we need to do. There's so many matters that need to be taken care of. All of this is necessary. But God's main concern is with our inner being, our being. As the Lord told Samuel when he was about to anoint a king, man looks on the outward appearance, 
God looks on the heart. God knows at any given time the condition of our inner being. And he came into us not to remain confined in our spirit, but to expand, to make his home in our heart, to transform our being from a natural being to a resurrected being. So the goal of this is the reality of the body of Christ. I follow Brother Lee's definition of that given in the messages in the book, Practical Points Concerning Blending. The reality of the body of Christ is a group of believers who live a life in resurrection conformed to Christ's death. It's a group of believers. They're all having the same kind of experience personally. We allow Christ to live in us in his resurrection life. And we are conformed to the mold of his death. Which releases the resurrection life. And this God-man life expresses Christ. But before there can be anything corporate, there needs to be something personal. If in a certain local church there are 220 faithful believers, and all of them are very dutiful in going through the morning revival, and being in the meetings, taking in the ministry, reading the Bible serving in the church, opening their homes. But no one is experiencing an inner change. Then we shouldn't think we all come together and we'll corporately express Christ. That would not be real. That'll be a performance or a ritual or a routine. In order for there to be a corporate expression of Christ in resurrection. Each one of us personally needs to be advancing in this direction. Recently in messages, I've been emphasizing ing, ing. We should be growing. We should be maturing. We are becoming When I see my grandchildren, I'm not disappointed. Joshua, you just turned 18. Sam, you're still only 16. Alisa, you're only 13. What I look for as their grandpa is, are you growing? I'm not bothered if saints here and there or even everywhere have not reached full maturity yet, what concerns me deeply if there's no ing except nothing. <laughs> and Christ wants to be everything. 
And what is in my heart, really, I'm opening it to you, is that in every one of us, this process would be taking place. Don't worry. You've got enough time. Don't worry. No one is too young. No one in this room is too old. It's not too soon, and it's not too late. Not for our God. But the goal of God's economy and the goal of the Lord's recovery is the reality of the body of Christ. And all the local churches are the means, the procedure for this to be worked out. And as we are just living our human life at whatever age we are, under whatever circumstances, with our health, with our families, with our age. Well, that is going on outwardly. Day by day, something should be going on inwardly. And I strongly suggest when you start a new day, you pray for this. Lord, today, I give you today. Grow in me today. Spread in me today. Saturate me more today. Lord, please supply me with today's measure of grace that I will need. And so we need this for our own spiritual future. But even more, we need this for the reality of the body of Christ. The reason is the body of Christ is an organism absolutely in the resurrection life of Christ. The local church being practical and physical because we're in space and time. People can be quite natural in so many things. Tomorrow there'll be the Lord's table meeting. The ushers will not be at the door with a meter to determine are you in resurrection or in your natural life. We can be in the church there's some saints been in the church for decades in their natural life. But the body that is the goal, we sang it. Nothing natural does the body life allow. Okay, nothing natural. That's not just a little jingle. That's the truth. And so we want to be in the resurrection life of Christ personally for the reality of the body of Christ corporately. You've heard me, some of you, give this brief testimony, but it won't hurt you to hear it again. If you haven't, it might be helpful. From between 1966 and 1970, I was fascinated with this book, The Breaking of the Outer Man, and the for the release of the spirit. It was so intriguing. What is this outer man? What is the breaking of the outer man? That must be some whopper of an experience. And I want to have that. But I don't know what it is. 
And so in March of 1970, I was at a meal and Brother Lee was there. And I had a chance to ask him. I thought, now I'm going to get a definitive answer. I said, Brother Lee, what, what does it mean to experience the breaking of the outer man? And he responded in one sentence. Spirituality is a body matter. So, of course, I was stopped in my tracks. I knew I couldn't ask anything more, and I knew I didn't understand what he meant. But he could realize something. Very clear. Ron, your spirituality is self-centered. Your spirituality is individualistic. I will not contribute to that. I will not say anything that will strengthen that. So he comes out with this mysterious statement. Spirituality is a body matter. That was 49 years and 8 months ago. So I've learned something during that period of time. So what does it mean when you say spirituality is a body matter? It means spirituality is a body matter. <laughs> I say that because if you know, you don't need to be told anything. If you don't know, you won't be able to understand anything. This is something that has to become real to us personally. So I desperately sought this. It's a body matter. So even what we're seeking personally is actually for the body corporately. So let's go through this outline and I'll emphasize certain matters. The work of most Christians is natural. This is just a fact. And is carried out in the natural life by natural strength and ability, not in the resurrection life of Christ. We're not questioning the heart of the believers, we're not their judges. But if we have the discernment, we'll know. It's the use of natural ability with natural strength and the natural life. I went to what in the realm of Christianity is called a highly prestigious theological school in Princeton, New Jersey. And I can assure you the kind of education that was was to uplift and to strengthen what you are in yourself. And all the eloquent preachers exhibited themselves and feasted on the praise of the congregation. Only the Lord knows. I doubt 
whether there's a Bible college or any religious educational institute that would tell the freshmen, you're here because you love the Lord, you want to serve the Lord. We welcome you to the all-inclusive death of Christ. The way is death and resurrection. So I mentioned this last night, or this morning, at least it was in the last 24 hours. I'm clear about that. Every once in a while, I spontaneously share with the trainees, like a dad or a grandpa even. The age is so different. I'm grandpa. I'm old enough to be their dad, their dad's dad. So, so this is Grandpa Ron telling you, I realize many of you are really smart. You're brilliant. You don't know what a B looks like. You never got a B in your whole life. You got a super high score. You went to Harvard. You went to Yale. You went to Stanford, UC Berkeley, whatever. Graduated. If not with summa cum laude, at least it's magna. So let me tell you, I'm not the least bit impressed. This is where your natural ability is terminated and resurrected. Because only resurrected life, strength, and ability is honored by the body. And this is actually the main thought in this message. The target of the indwelling resurrected Christ in this matter is our natural life, our natural strength, and our natural ability. If you are a person with a very high intelligence, that's just a fact. Somehow you became aware of that. You got the test results. Or somehow your teachers let you know. Okay. You're not the smartest person in the world. The most creative, whatever. But you have this. Religion and the world will glorify you. For all that you're able to do. The body of Christ will terminate you with all that you're able to do. So that what you have by God's creation, what you've developed by education, is resurrected. Your intellect is resurrected. Your creativity, whatever your God-created ability is, it's now in resurrection. Now the Lord will release it. For Moses, oh, when he was 40, what kind of capability did he have? The highest training you could have in the civilized world, destined to be a pharaoh, educated in all the wisdom of the world, powerful in character. He needed full-time training, 80 terms in FTTW. And when he thought life was over, he even wrote a psalm. If you might live to 70, if you're strong, it's 80. That's when God calls him. When you think it's over, God says, 
Now let's get going. Because at that stage, he was in resurrection. Why did the Lord Jesus allow Peter to fail? Even all the apostles. He said, you will all forsake me. Peter said, no. They might, not me. I'll follow you to prison. I'm ready to die. No, before the rooster crows three times, twice you'll deny me three times. No way. Then we know what happened. The rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. We have no idea what was the expression. Do you think he was disappointed? I don't believe so. Do you think he was hurt? Do you think he, there was anger in his eyes? I don't think so. You're saying, Peter, I knew this would happen. Only a broken failure can ever experience the need for resurrection life. So when he was resurrected, what did he say? Go tell this to the brothers and Peter. And we know from the record in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrected Christ appeared a number of times, one time to over 500 saints, another time to Peter personally. And then by the time you are in Acts chapter 2, they've all been broken. Their self-confidence has been shattered. They're all in resurrection. Now, the discord is gone. The rivalry is terminated. It's time to declare the gospel of the kingdom. The eleven realize, Peter, this is your function. And Peter realizes, yes, it is. But I stand with the eleven. I cannot speak a word without you. This is the body in resurrection. And this is where we're all headed. And once we are enlightened, especially if you would prayfully read and study that chapter on the experience of life on dealing with the natural constitution, that will enlighten you very, very much. And that light will motivate you to cooperate. The Lord is determined to do it. But if we can begin to cooperate and agree with him. Lord, I don't want to bring any of my, my natural ability into any part of the church life. I... And anyway, so this is the underlying thought. And if the Lord is not ready to begin to touch your natural constitution and your natural life, don't worry. Don't lose sleep over it tonight. Don't try to make it to happen. Just come to the Lord as you are and where you are. I assure you, you've got the time you need. When the Lord begins to operate in us as a sevenfold intensified spirit, he can do seven times more in a day. Amen. 
than he could have when he's just simply the all-inclusive spirit. Anyone within the sound of my voice, whether it will be here or through another means, if there's any brother or sister here that for a period of time you went astray from the Lord, you went astray from the church life, I know some for 20 years or more, then in the Lord's mercy and love and grace, they're brought back. But I know how the enemy is going to hit them. So I'm going to hit the enemy ahead of time. The enemy will say, it's really good that you're here. Too bad, though. It's too late. It's too late. You wasted too much time. My word to the enemy is, devil, it's too late for you. But I want to quote the Bible to you and to my brother or sister. From Joel, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. The Lord is well able to do it. We have time. I say again, it's not too late. There's not a record, an accumulation of all of your failures, all of your transgressions, all of this and that. No. As soon as they're confessed and forgiven, they are forgotten. The record is wiped clean. God himself cannot remember. And so what's in my heart is that if it's now, if now is timely for you, then I'll suggest some simple prayers you can offer, not as a method, but as a simple way of speaking. If it's premature, then don't worry about it. Just let the Lord care for you as you are, where you are, But no, this is coming. Two, the principle of resurrection is that the natural life is killed and the divine life rises up in its place. The reference is 2 Corinthians 1.9. We had the sentence of death in ourselves that we would not trust in ourselves, but in the God who gives life to the dead. Because with intelligence, natural strength, natural energy, natural ability, there's pride and self-confidence. But when the cross works, the self-confidence is smashed. And the body knows. Something happened to me between me and the Lord. In the night of July 30th, 1981. He knows what happened. I know what happened. He knows what he did. And I know what he did. I can only refer to it. And several weeks later, I'm in a gathering of many brothers. I'm sitting very close to Brother Lee. He's talking to me. Then he says this. Ron, you don't trust yourself anymore. How did he know? He just knows. It's just, it's such a relief. Someone intending to 
Well, it actually did send an exceedingly vile and reviling email to me, blaming me for this and that, attacking me and this and that. And uh, the woman who wrote it said, you're not God, you're nothing, you're nothing. And I wasn't the slightest bothered if I could have talked to her, I would have said, sister, I realized that was nothing before you were even born. It's such a relief to not rely upon your natural life, your natural strength, your natural ability, just to trust the God of resurrection, the God who raises the dead. And our personal and corporate testimony is death always loses. Resurrection life always prevails. The reality of resurrection is Christ as the life-giving spirit. For the church as the body of Christ is absolutely in resurrection. The church is a new creation in Christ's resurrection created by the resurrected Christ. When the women came to the tomb, and eventually the brothers came to study the data, to then to make an inference from the data that Christ was resurrected, the woman, I'm so glad, she wasn't satisfied with data, with an empty tomb, with grave clothes. She said, I want the Lord. I want to meet the Lord. But the fact that the grave clothes were there, that signifies the old creation was put away. And Christ's resurrection was the creation of this new creation. And the process of resurrection is the development of the new creation within us. B. God, this is a quotation from Brother Nee, the orthodoxy of the church. God sees the church as a being that can endure death. The gates of Hades are open to the church, but the gates of Hades cannot prevail against her and cannot confine her. Thus, the nature of the church is resurrection. The Lord said, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail. That's the attack of death. This is again and again of different angles. God's way is life. The enemy's weapon is death. Death won't be cast into the lake of fire until the end of the old creation at the end of the kingdom. But for the Lord to say, Hades will not prevail. He's indicating the church I'm building is absolutely in resurrection. And more and more the saints will discern immediately this is an attack of death. This is an atmosphere of death. This passivity is bringing in death. We will not let it happen. We will swallow it up. We will reign in life. We'll apply the resurrected Christ right here and right now. Or when we are visiting someone who is suffering just a tremendous loss. Just, it's indescribable, the sorrow. 
It's better we say nothing. But our being transmits resurrection life. Our presence is the presence of resurrection life. Like last night I mentioned, I saw this happen. When I had to tell, when I had to let Brother Lee know or, and help him to know that our 12-year-old brother, Ben Brenneman, had been murdered by a prisoner released ahead of time by an ungodly governor in the state of California who is now replaced by an even more ungodly governor in California. So he was released early and he killed our brother. And when Brother Lee asked me, please bring me to see the parents and the family, I just saw in a God-man what resurrection life, what it supplies. The tears don't stop. The heartache doesn't disappear in an instant. We are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not a sprint. But let me just share this. I think it was in 1996, one morning I was with the Lord. And inwardly, it was the speaking. Read Psalm 23. I'm wondering, why are you telling me to read it? I mean, I, like everyone else, have memorized it. No, read it. So I started to read. Jehovah is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the quiet waters. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. Yea, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. That's what the Lord wanted me to see. From he to you. You are with me. It's a walk. It's a personal walk. But you're with me with a rod to protect me and a staff to guide me and recover me when I wander off. This is utterly real. And the church corporately is an organism in the nature of resurrection in order for us to actually have this kind of church we personally need to be advancing in resurrection see the golden lampstand typifying the church as the body of Christ portrays Christ as the resurrection life growing see the ings branching budding and blossoming to shine the light. And allow me to say sincerely, I'm not a politician. I'm not a diplomat. When I speak, I do not fear man. Neither do I try to please man. I can't do that. It can only be sincere by Christ is my sincerity. It's been one year since I've been here. And God has done a lot in your lives 
in the last year. A lot of ing, a lot of ing in Northern California. And so it's the ing that's encouraging. You're advancing, you're progressing, you are growing. Okay, five. To be in the reality of the body of Christ, we need to be absolutely in the resurrection life of Christ. See, to be. This is our inner being. It's not changing behavior. How do you act resurrectionly anyway? What does that look like? And everyone will say, this is the natural life being an actor, trying to impersonate resurrection life. In our natural life and in the old creation, we are not the body. We are the body in the new creation germinated by Christ's resurrection life. The body of Christ is in resurrection. That is, in the spirit, in the pneumatic Christ, and in the consummated spirit. Then for some reason, I repeat Roman numeral 2 is point C, but I made the mistake, but I think the Lord might bless the mistake. The reality of resurrection is Christ as the life-giving spirit. If we do any work which is not in resurrection, the life-giving spirit will not honor it. The spirit honors only what is in resurrection so the spirit will train us when we're doing something he may not interrupt us while we're doing it then we're with him we feel uncomfortable as we consider what we did then we indicate the lord said that was just you that was just you there was one situation where I needed to write a a letter responding to certain accusations on behalf of the church. So I, the letter flowed out. I wrote the draft. Then I gave it to the other brothers to read and to critique if necessary. So then they were reading. They felt very good. And they came to one sentence. And they stopped and said, no, that's wrong. Cross it out. So that was just something clever. I wanted to say to kind of get back at him. And the Lord through the body let me know. We're not agreeing with that. That's just out of cleverness. That's being flippant. We only accept what is in resurrection. And then here I go again. I, I, I repeat a Roman numeral point in F. No, no, in, in E. The principle of resurrection is that the natural life is killed and that the divine life rises up in its place. So I don't know if this is good news. Your natural life will be killed. And resurrection will rise up in its place. So temporarily, you have a choice. Ultimately, you don't. God wins. For some, it may take halfway through the millennium before the strong will gives in and says, okay, I will pray read. 
Okay, I will call on the name of the Lord. Okay, I give up. We do have a spirit. I give up. But if we're enlightened and we reject the fear that comes to us from the enemy, we say, Lord, I'm not here to save my soul life. I'm here to lose it so that resurrection life may rise up in its place. F, when we do not live by our natural life, but live by the divine life within us, we are in resurrection. The issue of this is the body of Christ. And so here we have a we. We do not live by our natural life. We live by the divine life within us. We live, we are in resurrection then the issue is the body of Christ. This is what the Lord is on his heart. Everything we say, everything we do, and everything we are in the church life must be brought, must be in a resurrection. I'll be done with the whole outline in about seven minutes, but I want to make one application here. That in the body of Christ, the members have no direct relationships with one another. In the natural human life, we may have relationships according to our preference or our bias or some or our prejudice. And so we can be drawn to certain ones and we like to be with them. Others we would never, never initiate fellowship with. We would never have them over for a meal. This is just the natural life, relationships in the natural life. One soul contacting another soul directly. But in the body of Christ, no such relationships are allowed. I believe I can say I'm open to the Lord to expose me when I'm with him. But as far as I'm aware right now, I do not have a direct relationship with anyone you know, other than my wife. That's something in God's creation. All relationships are through Christ as the head. Amen. So right now, if the head directs my right hand to scratch the top of my head, there's a contact of hand to hair. But it's not going to be that now the hand and the hair, the top of my head, have a personal affection for each other. And so I walk around for the rest of my life like this. And then my right hand is jealous of the left hand. No. Everything is through Christ the head. Amen. Consider the tabernacle in the Old Testament. All the boards are acacia wood. But the wood of one board has no direct contact with the wood of another board. All the boards are covered with gold. And then the rings are of gold. 
and the bars are wood covered with gold. So there is very precious contact, but it's not in the natural life. The most damaging thing I ever witnessed in the 53 years I've been in the church life was between 1977 and 1978 when a group of sisters formed an exclusive relationship based upon the natural life with one person as the center, as the queen. And that was more damaging than the rebellion and the division caused in 1978. And it took years for that internal damage to be flushed out. And when some of those sisters wanted fellowship with Brother Lee, he said, this is a cancer. But they would not accept that their relationship was cancerous. But it was. They were growing, sucking life from the body. That's how cancer kills, I think. But they would not give it up. So they were all cut out. And so all of us, but sisters in a particular way, there are no natural friendships in the body life. The Lord will put us together, relate us, relate us to others for the building, but it's not by our preference. I can testify this, you know, the standing boards are half a unit. You need two to make a complete unit. Without my brother Ed Marks, I'm half a unit. But we are almost in every way different in our disposition, in our makeup. <laughs> then you've got Dick Taylor here and Minoru and James Lee. We're all different. Yet we're all the same. And all of our relationships are through the head. So no one is inclusive. No one is exclusive. This is a law in the body. Okay, now we finish up. Six, our natural strength and ability need to be dealt with by the cross to become useful in resurrection. The natural strength and ability have no divine element. They act on their own, not according to God's will. And they seek their own glory and satisfy their own desire. These thoughts come from that chapter on the natural constitution. The natural strength is all surrounding the self. So the Lord said in John 7, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. Yes, one is eloquent. One is brilliant. One is incredibly talented to manage things. Someone is really a people person, so able to kind of uh, negotiate all kinds of situations. But at the center of it is the self, independence, 
pride, self-glory. God is not needed. So tomorrow morning, in, in certain kind of congregations, men could talk about God as if there were no God. They don't need God in order to talk about God. It's their thoughts, their words, their skill, their ability. And so this is a, a fixed principle that our strength, this is B, and ability need to be brought into resurrection through the dealing of the cross. The cross is a solution. God solves all problems by the cross. It's not for suffering. It's for termination. It's for killing. Don't you want the self in you to be terminated? And that instead of the self, Christ is the person making home in you. Christ is the person shining out from you. Yes, we all have this. See, in resurrection, something divine is wrought into our ability. Thus, our dealt with ability is full of God. That's what happened to Moses. You'll see when in later this month we have the, the one training on Deuteronomy. How intimate Moses was before God. How faithfully, except for one failure, he represented God. How obedient he was to the government of God. He asked God one time, could I just go into the land of Canaan? Just be there. I know I can't live there. God said, don't ask me about this again. You're not entering in. Come up on the mountain and I'll let you see. And then, Moses, you will die. 120, perfect health. He died at the word of the Lord. This is a person fully into resurrection, having no more issues with God's government over him. No issues. Even he shepherded the people of Israel by using his own failure as an illustration. Oh, they need to honor God's government. You know what I did. You know I smote the rock the second time. I called you rebels. You know what God said to me? I'm not going into the land. I will die here, but I can see it. Learn of me. Learn of my failure. He's fully out of himself. Don't make this kind of mistake when you're in the good land. And so this is where the Lord is going. Now, the last section, I just mainly read it. In our service to the Lord, we must reject our natural enthusiasm and control our natural affection. We must be burning in spirit with the fire of God's life. We should not serve with strange fire, signifying the natural enthusiasm, not dealt with by the cross and not in resurrection. Some that were in Berkeley in the Memorial Day weekend in 1977 know what this strange fire looks like. 
And sometimes we need to reflect on our history. It happened. So now from another generation, look, it happened. We had this kind of failure. Don't repeat it. Don't repeat it. This is what happened when the enemy took over a conference. We were, there was strange fire burning all over the place. So we know what this is. We're not disguising our history. It's written down. We have a little Deuteronomy, a remembrance of this for our learning. Don't ever have a conference like that again. Don't let strange fire burn out of control again. Don't mistake that for your spirit burning. Don't mistake that for the seven spirits of God operating in you. Learn from our mistake 42 years ago. And and that was a dividing point. One year later, dozens and dozens left. But those that were there and were enlightened and repented were forever helped by that situation. And they will never allow the strange fire to just be out of control among us. Because some sincere things think, oh, this is the spirit. No, it's not. It's strange fire that brings in death. We should not serve with strange fire, signifying the natural enthusiasm, not dealt with by the cross and not in resurrection, strange fire in the priestly service, a sin of presumption causes death before God. Nadab and Abihu were not judged because they did something that was not for God. They were judged because they acted according to the natural life, doing something for God in a natural way. I long for prayer meetings where all the prayers are in resurrection life. No more natural prayers. You just sense. You can't honestly say amen to it. It's just an expression of the natural life. It's for God. It's a good intention. But it's not resurrection. It's a hindrance to the meeting. Three, in our priestly service, our natural enthusiasm should be rejected. And our natural affection should be controlled. Matthew 10. He who loves father or mother, son or daughter, more than me, is not worthy of me. One of the hardest lessons I've had to learn as a dad was to not to love them more than I love the Lord Jesus. Not to go on loving them with natural affection. And one time many years ago, the Lord used my daughter, who was really suffering in a very particular way. And she admonished me respectfully. She was very direct. She said, Dad, stop trying to protect me. The Lord may want me to suffer certain things. Stop trying to protect me from them. I was trying to protect her from the cross. I was actually protecting my own soul life. Because I'm willing to suffer. But I can't bear that my daughter would suffer. That my sons would suffer. Then the Lord, a number of years ago, 
This just comes out spontaneously, the Lord knows, but it might be helpful. All the primary members of my family at the time, my wife, my daughter, my sons, they were all in a crisis at the same time. I was surrounded by them. The only way to go on was not natural affection. The only way to go on was resurrection life. You're in a situation, you can't go up, you can't go down, you can't go forward, you can't go backward, and you can't bear where you are. That is the prime opportunity for resurrection life to come in. Conquer death and bring you through. We all need to learn not to touch the holy things of God with the natural life. Everything natural in us needs to be dealt with. Well, I went longer than I thought. That's not an apology. It's an acknowledgement of the fact. But we have about 20 minutes. And we really need, let's just say, each one would speak for about 30 seconds. We could have 35 or 40 saints come to the microphones that will be set up. Because the message needs your confirmation. The message needs your completion. I mean this. I can only give my part. But if a number would come, 30 seconds each or so, I do believe that will complete the message. And the members of the body will confirm the fact that for the body of Christ in reality, we all need to be in the resurrection life of Christ. So please follow the Spirit wherever you are, even in the middle of a row. Let the one come forward. I'm not pleading, I'm not begging, but I'm just appealing to you. Please follow the Spirit and speak a confirming word.